Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third story, this historical biography of the life of Jesus. Luke chapter 22, a number of verses in that passage, and you can follow along. I'm going to ask my beautiful assistant, Debbie, to read for me. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this, and he touched the man. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you come for me with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. This is your hour. This reigns. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, Prophesy, who hit you? He said many other insulting things to him. Daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and teachers, met together. Jesus was led before them. If you are the Christ, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. From now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Asked, are you then the Son of God? You are right in saying, I am. He said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes. It is as you say, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. The death of Jesus Christ is the most influential death in the history of the world, bar none. And that's why I've called this series the days, and today we're going to be talking about the day, because it's the most influential day among three days in the history of the world. In the church, we celebrate what in Latin is called the tridum, which literally means three days, three days that changed the world, and there's no other three days in history 
that have impacted the world the way these days have. You don't even have to believe in God to factually acknowledge these three days changing the course of history like no other three days ever have. And so starting today, we're going to look at the Tritum this Sunday, next Sunday, and then Easter Sunday together. And today, we begin with Friday. Next week is Saturday. And then Resurrection Sunday. And I'm going to invite you through the course of this message in this series to come to know, to love, to admire, and have a sense of wonder for Jesus. And actually what we're going to do today is something a little different than we would normally do. We're going to start at the end of the day, Friday, and we're going to work backwards. We sometimes see this in plays and shows. We're going to start at the end of the day and work backwards. And so it is Friday during the latter part of daylight, and there are three rough wooden crosses outside the gates of Jerusalem, a place the locals call the skull, which we typically call Golgotha. And the outside two crosses have hanging on them two bodies of of two thieves, but they're not really thieves. They're more than that, and we will get to that in a few minutes. The middle cross is empty, because that victim is already dead and his body has been taken down. And on top of the empty cross that's in the middle of the three, there's a sign that says, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And this sign and this scene begs a lot of questions. Why did Jesus die? Why did this guy die? Because what this guy was known for was He was known for being meek. Now, meek does not mean wimp. Meek means you have more than enough ability to prevail in the situation you're in and to come out the victor and to dominate, but you choose not to. He was known for that. He was known as a blesser of children. He was known as a person who performed supernatural things, who was the smartest man in the room who was the friend of sinners, how did he end up being executed as an enemy of the state? Well, Friday has been a day of very murky motives, of odd alliances, of secret backdoor meetings, of payoffs and the fulfillment of conspiracies and cynical PR ploys. And many people that day struck a shady deal to crush Jesus. And most everybody on that day had a purely selfish agenda. But which agenda actually prevailed and which agenda actually triumphed? The first major player in Friday is Rome. Rome would say that Jesus died because he was a threat to Rome. And if you know anything about history, anyone or any group that tried to threaten Rome died a violent death. Now, the reason for this is because of what Jesus was called. Christ 
is a Greek word which means to anoint. It means the anointed one. It means the Messiah. And if you want to understand Jesus, you have to understand this concept as they thought about it when it comes to the idea of Messiah. At that time, as Jesus was alive, there was lots of people running around claiming to be Messiah. The Messiah in the minds of the people and in the minds of these other people apart from Christ was to have a political agenda. And it was not unlike the scene that we sometimes see played out currently in the Middle East. At the time of Jesus, there's this, it was a very volatile place where there was lots of religion and politics all intertwined and played out together in a very scary way. Now, there was another force in play that day, and that's the force of the crowds. And they had always been taught and they expected that Messiah would be a political leader, a Messiah who would lead them in revolt against Rome. And when this happened, the nation of Israel would rise to a place of prominence on the world scene. And so there was all kinds of wannabe Messiahs running around trying to rise up the people. And the Bible even talks about some of them. In the book of Acts chapter 5, it says, some time ago, Thutius appeared, a claiming to be somebody, and about 400 people, men rallied to him. He, killed, he was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. Josephus, who was a Jewish historian around that time, also comments on this phenomena. He says, Thutius was called a Messiah and a bunch of people rallied around him. He claimed he could part the Jordan River and he led a revolt against Rome and ended up decapitated in Jerusalem. Another one Josephus writes about is Judea, uh, sorry, Judas the Galilean. And he was also executed by Rome. Josephus says that Judah... Judas, rather, founded a group called the Zealots. And the Zealots were set upon overthrowing Rome, and they told the people, don't pay your taxes to Rome. And I was thinking about it. Can you imagine at, at this time of year, a bunch of people gathered around getting worked up over having to pay their taxes? That was, a, you'll, you'll get it in a second. They believed that if they could incite a revolt against Rome, God would deliver them. Well, the Romans crushed them mercilessly, and they crucified about 2,000 of the zealots around the time of Jesus. Being a Messiah in that day was a very dangerous occupation. And there was at least 18 that were aware of separate guys running around claiming to be Messiah in the day of Christ, they all ended up dead and most of them crucified. But they would gather some people and they would loot and they would steal and they would try and incite a revolt and they ended up dead. The Romans used a Greek word to describe them, the Greek word lestis, which, described, which literally means looters or scumballs. The thief on the cross was not just some guy that did some shoplifting at the local 7-Eleven. The thief on the cross was part of the anti-Roman movement. 
And so the Romans killed him in an incredibly painful way to send a message. You mess with us, and you are going to die among the most agonizing deaths mankind has ever brought to the forefront. Jesus Christ ended up crucified, but he was different from all the other wannabe messiahs out there because, in fact, he rejected the role of being a political leader. One of the times when he performed one of his miracles as the spirit-filled God-man, the crowds literally tried to forcibly make him king in the book of John chapter 6. And we're told, if you read in that scripture, that when they were trying to do that, he just walked away from the crowds. They were ready to rally around him. They were ready to fight against the old Roman oppressors. But when he saw what they were trying to do, he walked away. Unlike the other wannabe messiahs, Jesus refused to lift a finger against Rome. So why the cross? Why the cross? Earlier on Friday, Jesus was tried before Pilate. Pilate is Caesar's governor in charge of Judea. To be assigned that post meant Caesar liked you, but not very much, because it was not a plum assignment. Very harsh climate, very, very difficult people to uh, subjugate and rule over. They were always rioting, they were always causing trouble, and it was not a great place to be a Roman governor. The Middle East was a tough place to rule. But Jesus is brought <coughs> before Pilate by the chief priests. And the chief priests, they're in this weird place. They're very politically minded. And so in a sense, they collaborate with Rome because they know if they don't collaborate with Rome, they won't be able to be the big shots in society and do the things they want to do at the temple. But on the other hand, and they have to counterbalance this very carefully, they can't be too close to Rome because the people of Israel will then reject them. And so they play this very complicated political game to suck up to Rome and to suck up to the people. In Luke chapter 23, Pilate is asked by them to judge Jesus. And you need to know that Pilate is an absolutely ruthless individual. Absolutely ruthless. Another ancient writer, Philo, wrote this about Pilate. Pilate was known for bribery, insults, robbery, supreme cruelty, executions without trial, and a vindictive temper. He would crucify people at the drop of a hat, and he did it by the thousands. Well, the chief priests bring this charge against Jesus in chapter 23, verse 2, and they, the Debbie read for us. And it says this, and they began to accuse him, speaking of Jesus, saying, we have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, a king. What they're saying to Pharaoh, sorry, not Pharaoh, to Pilate, they're saying to Pilate, you've got a problem with Jesus. This dude is a problem for Rome. Caesar won't like him, and he won't like you. You better take care of this problem. 
Pilate hesitates for several reasons. One of the primary ones is because he hates the priest's guts, can't stand them. And he also, so he doesn't want to help them. He's not set on helping these guys. He doesn't like them at all. He doesn't really want to be there. But also he knows this guy has done absolutely nothing wrong. And they are just trying to use Pilate, use him for their own political gain. And so Pilate says, I know what I'll do. I'll put one over on them. I'll have some fun with them so I don't have to do what they're trying to force me to do, which I don't want to do. And so then he turns to the crowds and he says to the crowds, hey guys, it's the time of year where I typically release one prisoner to you. I'm going to give you a choice. Would you like to be, for me to release Jesus, who is harmless, or do you want me to release to you the murderer, Barabbas? Now, it's likely that the chief priests anticipated Pilate doing something like this because they hated him too. And so more than likely, which is still happens in the Middle East to this day, they bribed some people to chant the name of whoever Pilate would offer up in opposition to Jesus. So when this ha- if this happens... We want you to incite the crowd to chant Barabbas. Now, the thing is, the people also hated Rome. And they would want somebody that would kill Romans. And so they knew Barabbas would, and they knew Jesus wouldn't. And so they were inclined to chant Barabbas' name. So then Pilate, when this happens, Pilate steps back, and he's thinking politically... And he says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Now this is ironic, because earlier in the ministry of Jesus, the people desperately wanted him to say this. They desperately wanted him to say, I am the Messiah, I am going to be your king, let's go beat up on the Romans. But he never said this once. If he had said this swarms of people would have rallied to his side because crowds were coming from all over Israel to hear this guy talk. They would have rallied to his side and the war would have been on. And they, say, they would have said, let's rise up and defeat Rome. Not once in that situation does he ever say that to them. But now when it's just Pilate and a scrawl group of people talking, he steps forward and he says to them, what happens is Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And all Jesus had to say at that moment, here's the irony, all he had to say was no. And his life would have been spared, most likely spared. Because remember, Pilate is looking through the eyes politically at this. And if he had said no, he likely would have been spared. I want to remind you that by far, Jesus is the smartest man in the room. He knew all he had to say was no. What does he do? He says, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Just days ago, the people had been praising him as he rode into town. They thought he was there to lead them in a rebellion against the Roman oppressors, but he doesn't. He doesn't ride in on a stallion, which would have indicated 
on a white stallion, which would have indicated to them that he is coming as a warrior king. Instead, he rode in very humbly on a donkey. So now because they didn't get what they wanted from him, they've turned on him. And now as he's standing before Pilate, when there's no chance that he could ever be perceived as a military, military leader, when there's absolutely, when it makes no sense in an earthly sense to admit that he's the king, what does Jesus do? He admits the truth. He is king. The king. What's happening here? Let's back up a little further. In John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. The chief priests and the Pharisees, the power elite of that society, observe what has happened and they get reports. And so they have a secret meeting and they conspire together against Jesus. And it says in John chapter 11, Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. That's this group of leaders. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take both our place and our nation. The Romans will come and take away our power to lead the people. We don't want to lose our place. That's what these guys are saying. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize it is better for you that one man die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. Caiaphas had no idea what he was saying, but that day he was actually stating the real agenda of Friday. The agenda of Friday was this. One man was going to die for all us. Was going to die for me. Was going to die for you. In order that God's presence, God's blessing, God's forgiveness, God's relationship with us on an individual level, God's guidance would be available through this one man that would die for us. Caiaphas didn't know what he was saying when he said that, but that was the real agenda of Friday. And so at this meeting, when they conspire together, they come up with the idea of bringing two fake charges. Because remember, they're walking this finely balanced road between what they say to the Romans and what they say to the people. So they say, we will tell Caesar that Jesus is a threat to Caesar. We'll tell Pilate that Jesus is a threat to Caesar. But we can't tell the crowds that because then the crowds will love him and want to rally to him. And so they say to Caesar, to Pilate rather, Jesus is a threat to Caesar. But then when they leave the room and talk to the crowds, they say to the crowds, Jesus is blaspheming God. He's pretending to be God and he's not. And then they pay people to lie about Jesus. But when that all unfolds, because it's all a lie, their false statements contradict one another and it's shown that he's completely innocent. At that moment, all Jesus needs to do is stay silent. And I remind you that Jesus is by far 
the smartest man in the room. All he has to do is say nothing. But he doesn't. He doesn't try to correct the lies of the people that have been bribed to speak against him. He sits in silence while they mock him. But when they ask him the question that will have the people turn against him, are you the Christ? He says, I am. And with those words, he is saying, I am God. I am the Messiah. And right away, as it says in our text, they say, we don't need to hear any more testimony. He has condemned himself by what he's saying. The lying witnesses couldn't condemn him, but Jesus does all the work for them. And again, he is the smartest guy in the room. Why does he do this? Why did he do that? Why did he offer himself up? Let's go back in time some more. During the previous night, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible opens with the story of the first Adam in the garden. Now Jesus, who scripture tells us is the second Adam, is also in the garden as well. Not the same garden, but in a garden. And in the garden, understand very clearly that Jesus has options. He could fight like the zealots. That's one of the options he has. He could call for the people to rally around him. And he could fight. That's one of his options. The crowds would have followed him at the drop of a hat. He could withdraw with the Essenes. This was a sect of people that were off in the wilderness. And he could have gone off with them. Many people would have found him. There's many places there where he could have hidden and he would have been perfectly safe. He could have collaborated with the chief priests. Let's get together on this. Let's figure something out. We'll share power, blah, blah, blah. I'll be your PR guy, something like that. He could have cut a deal with Pilate. He could have asked for his father to send a legion of angels to protect him. And those angels would have wiped everybody out. Anybody threatening him would have been dead. He doesn't do any of those things. This man, the spirit-filled God-man of Scripture, is all alone, and he says this, I will not fight. Levy did it for us. I will not fight. I will not run. I will not make a deal. I will not try to dazzle them. Instead, I will die. I will die. Not my will, Father, but your will be done. Where does that come from? Where does that come from? That Jesus would die for people that despise him and hate him. Well, the reason he did all this is to address a situation that has defeated every human being's attempt to correct, and that is our sin. My sin and your sin. The sin of every human being that's ever lived. And even though we try to 
do all kinds of things, bribe our way out of it, try to do more good than bad. Nothing pays for our sin. And he knew he was the only answer for our sin. He was the only answer for our problem. And so he said, I will lay down my life. And in fact, I will lay down my life for Pilate, for the chief priests, for the crowds, for me and for you. And so Jesus actually outfought, outmaneuvered, outcrafted, but mostly he just outloved everybody on that day that had an agenda. His agenda was the one that prevailed. Because Jesus' agenda was just love. And I will show that love on Friday by willingly dying. And so really what he was doing is he's saying in a very loud declaration that changed the world, that for every sinful person there is, which means every one of us and anyone that's ever lived, I will suffer, I will die for you because I love you. And so his question to every human being, and it's a very individual choice that no one else can make for you. His question for every human being is, will I die to my own sin? Will I admit my sin? Will I admit the fact that I'm powerless to deal with my sin? And will I invite Jesus to forgive me and to be the leader and the Lord of my life and give my life to him? I'm gonna ask everyone at home on the internet or in the room here to bow your head and close your eyes right now. And if you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, and it's the kind of relationship where you have to be all in. There's no room for a tepid response here. You gotta be all in. You gotta say, I have done sinful things. I need to be forgiven. And it's only in Christ that I can be forgiven. And I want to surrender my life to him. And I want to go forward in relationship with God through Christ. If you've never done that and you would like to do that either at home or here in the room, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and then I'm going to pray a prayer and I'll pray with you through that so that you can receive Christ. And so if you'd like to do that, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands right now so I can see them. Raise your hand up so I can see. You might be at home. Steph will put an icon on the thing there that you can check. If you'd like to do that, just lift your hand with me. Okay, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to follow along with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending the Lord Jesus. And just repeat after me as I'm praying. I'll pray slowly. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to come. Thank you that you were willing to die for me. I admit the fact that I've done sinful things. I ask you to forgive me for my sin. And I surrender my life to you to be my savior and the one in charge of my life. I'm going to trust you. 
I don't know what all that means, but I'm going to trust you. And so I give myself to you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you that my life is different now forever. And I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You've prayed that prayer today. I invite you to come and tell the people that you've come with what you've done. There'll be someone at the front at the end of the service. You can tell, you could come and tell me. If you've done it online, I invite you to do the same thing. Today is Friday. Friday is the day that sin does not get the last word. Today, love conquered sin.